Hello, everyone. This is Jim Kelly. Welcome back to Free Reads. Hey, maybe Free Reads really is back on a semi-regular schedule. At the very least, I've got this episode and another queued up and ready to go. Welcome, then, to part one of one of the oddest of my oddball stories. Painting the air is a fantasy like no other I have ever written. It has genies, for Christ's sakes, and has more in common with fairy tales than most of the slipstream stuff I've been writing. And is that a whiff of allegory you smell? (laughs) Could be. What has gotten into me? More on that next time. But the other thing that is exceedingly odd about this story is that it has only been lightly published, uh, slightly published, no, mysteriously published. Yeah. For the vast majority of you, this will be your first possible encounter with this story. Let me explain. About a year ago, a friend of mine by the name of Benjamin Rosenbaum asked if I might be interested in taking part in a mysterious and secret project called Tumbarumba. He and a friend by the name of Ethan Ham were cooking up. Seems that they got a commission from the New Radio and Performing Arts, Inc. for its Turbulence website. This commission was made possible with funding from a grant from the Jerome Foundation. This thing they were doing was described to me as a frolic of intrusions. I know, it didn't mean any more to me at the time than it does to you. But Ben is a smart guy and a talented writer, so if he were behind the project, I was willing to give it a go. Now, in order to join the frolicking, you have to download the Tumbarumba add-on for your browser. After that, Well, let Ben and Ethan explain how this thing works from the Tumbarumba website. Tumbarumba is an anthology of short stories. Would-be readers need to uncover the stories before they're able to read them. This is done by web browsing and keeping an eye out for a textual absurdity. If the absurdity is one caused by Tumbarumba and not simply run-of-the-mill convoluted writing, Then it offers an entry to one of the stories in the anthology. And that's why I say this story is slightly or mysteriously published. You can't just rattle in a URL on your keyboard and read it. You have to let it come to you. You have to download the software, be alert enough to pick out the text that does not belong on the page you're looking at, click that text several times, and then have the time and inclination to read the story. Plus, you don't necessarily know which story from the anthology you are going to get, because clicking a Tumbarumba might lead you to any number of wonderful stories, including Temp by Greg Van Eekhout, Reunion by Stephen Gaskell, Birthday by John Philip Olson, Bioanger by Kini Ibura Salam, Sequins by Marianne Mohanraj, Little Match Girl by Heather Shaw, Martian Dispatches by David Moles, Monstro Cities by David J. Schwartz, A Steadfast Tin Soldier by Tim Pratt, 
of Love and Mermaids by Jeff Spock, Listen to Me by Hayter Copley-Woods, and Painting the Air. Okay, you won't have to work quite so hard to hear my contribution, which is coming, I promise. I do urge you to give Tumbarumba a click. That's T-U-M-B-A-R-U-M-B-A. And it's the one from Turbulence, and not the one in New South Wales. It will add a new dimension to your digital experience. Phew, another long intro. But if you think this was a big waste of time, imagine what it feels like to be painting the air. I'm sick of dusting her fans. Jaya stepped out of her pants and tossed them at Hool, her genie lover. They fluttered across the room and spun to rest under his bed. Grinding pigment for that old crow's paint, lugging bolts of silk from the market. She unstrung the laces of her shirt and let it fall from her shoulders. The damp, smoky air of the room seemed to cling to her skin. It was a relief to be naked. Apprentice work, agreed Hool. It's beneath you. He was one of several dozen genies, exiled to the happy city to do penance for sins he claimed no mortal could ever understand. He was presenting tonight as a snake man. The nubs at the ends of his vestigial arms and legs wriggled bonelessly. I can't believe your parents signed a four-year contract. Feels more like forty. Jaya had long since decided that it was time to put down the broom and pick up her brushes. Of course, she was allowed an hour in the evening to sketch Mahir's masterpieces on cheap fans of paper and bamboo. And yes, the Guild of Fan Makers permitted Jaya to sell those crude copies in the market. But Jaya was eager to paint lilies and herons and the learned ladies of the castle, on silk, in a studio of her own. After all, Jaya was twenty-two years old and an artist, not a servant. I think she's trying to make me quit. Jaya threaded her fingers into her long hair and lifted it off her shoulders. Her neck felt hot. Sometimes I hate her. She's afraid of what you'll do on your own. I want my release. She let the hair fall. That's all I really want, Hool. Just that. Too small a wish. Hool coiled up her arm. You have to think bigger. Jaya sighed. She shared his bed in part because she hoped he might grant her the true wish which would end his exile. But the heart of a genie was a mystery, if they had hearts. He pulled her to him. Come lie with me, and I'll kick all four of those years under the blanket. He flicked his forked tongue at her. There's no room in my bed for worry or regret. She settled next to him and brushed the back of her forefinger against his long spine. Not smooth tonight, Hool, she said. Rough. Sometimes his dry scales tickled across her belly and spoiled the mood. Big, 
and hairy. Houle sighed and passed her the censer. Ape, he said. Bear. Jaya stuck her face close to the smoldering feather in the censer and breathed deeply. Surprise me. The honeyed smoke curled into her nose and stretched her lungs. Porcupine. It's pleasure I'm wishing for just now, Jeanie. It was a joke. She knew he wasn't going to make anyone's wish come true that night. When Jaya giggled, smoke leaked from the corner of her mouth. Pain for some other time. A moment, then. Hool's flesh surged and turned cloudy. The skin around his head split apart as he began to molt. As his smooth body slithered from the sheath of scales, shoulders and hips formed and limbs unfolded. Down sprouted into a stubble of hair and blunt claws curled from toe pads. The fur was gray with rust highlights on the back and buff on the belly and legs. The canines glistened in the lamplight. The tongue that rolled between them was the color of raw steak. The wolf arched, ears back, hindquarters lowered in submission. Here, he growled, you are the master. He burrowed his snout between her legs. Jaya offered the master her palate, but Mahir paid no attention. She squatted beneath the easel and held a sensing brush up to the leaf of her utmost fan, the one she was entering in the festival. The handle of the brush was bound to her right wrist, palm, and forefinger with silk ribbons. Mahir had the tremors, and Jaya could tell that this was not one of her good days. The only way the master could do finish work was with the brushes that read her thoughts. The Festival of the Fans was already underway. The competition was but three days away, and she had yet to fold the leaf of her fan or mount it on its ivory slips. Yee-yee! Mahir straightened painfully, stumped around the easel twice, and then stopped to the left of it, considering her work. Jaya watched her with a mixture of envy and disgust. The master insisted that performance was as necessary as draftsmanship to find the spirit of her subject. She spent as much time posturing and yipping as she did putting paint on silk. In her youth, crowds would gather to watch her work. But when the fickle onlookers began to visit the studios of other master fanmakers in the happy city, Mahir had closed her doors. Now only Jaya witnessed her antics. Mahir had been trying to finish the wings of a dragonfly for the past two weeks, her thin brush darting to limb an indigo filigree of veins across the cyan wash of the membrane. She had used a cool palette to fill her lines, a pale viridian fringe of cattail with emerald highlights edged a dark pond, a gray-green willow branch reached down from above. Jaya admired the composition, although she would have included a stronger horizontal. But she had no use for the subject. A muchness of color. The thin needs to be darker, Mahir said. Charcoal, quick! She inclined her head toward the shelf of pigments. Quick now, you silly girl! Jaya sprang from her stool 
and pinched black powder from its jar. She rubbed thumb and forefinger together over the thick indigo smudge on the palate, and charcoal whisked down. Again, said Mahir. But softer, soft! Jaya had just begun to sprinkle more of the dust when Mahir slapped her hand away. Good, that's good. The master snatched the palate from her. Jaya wiped her fingers on her apron and sat. She was trying not to pout, but it was hard. Patri is painting the high constable herself's castle on her utmost fan, she said. There was no sound in the studio but the click of the brush against the palette. And a rose bush, said Jaya. Red roses. Mahir pressed her head hard against her shoulder to see the fan leaf better, and then held her shaking hand close to the easel. Red is for butchers and hatmakers and clowns, she murmured. It shouts. It shouts, I will take the prize. Color doesn't touch the spirit of things. Mahir's lips pressed tight, and she glared at the dragonfly on her utmost fan. Then, despite her trembling, the sensing brush held steady, and Mahir struck a perfect line on the wing. And red usually hides a truth. She grunted in satisfaction and stepped back to admire what she had done. Jaya thought the sensing brush was a cheat. She had already decided she would never use one, no matter how old she got. You're dripping again. Mahir jerked as if she had been stung. A drop of dark indigo splattered on the floor. She had always prided herself on neatness and restraint. So, she aimed the brush at Jaya. You have seen this fan. Everybody has... Jaya wasn't going to let Mahir make her feel guilty about scouting her rival. There's a line out the front of her studio watching her paint it. A master ought to know the fashion, so she could put it aside. This is about politics, Jaya, not about fans. Next, she'll be painting the high constable herself's ugly face on her utmost. She wants the prize. Mahir's grin was all bumps and wrinkles. And you? I'm just an apprentice, said Jaya. You seethe with ambition, apprentice. To make fans of my own? Yes. Mahir pulled a stool up to the easel and stepped onto it. She swayed for a moment and Jaya bolted upright and braced herself to catch the master if she fell. Mahir waved her her way. I want to leave, Master, said Jaya. Give me your blessing. Mahir placed her hands to either side of her head, framing her view of the leaf of the utmost fan. You're not ready. Jaya watched indigo paint dribbling down the handle of the sensing brush strapped to the Master's hand. You mean you're not ready? Mahir let her hands fall to her side. I wonder what you've learned here, Jaya. For a moment, the master fanmaker stood high on the stool, as if posing for a statue that no one would ever think to carve. She surveyed her cluttered studio and her collection of utmosts, twelve of which had won the high constable herself's prize at the festival of the fans. Then she dismissed them with a stroke of her brush. Sometimes, she said, I think I might as well be painting the air. 
Hool pointed. Look! He was presenting as a prepubescent boy, thin as a blade of grass. He had cinnamon skin and black hair to his shoulders and was naked in the midsummer heat, except for the red breechcloth, which Jaya had insisted he keep on. The parade of fan masters was finally passing through the market gate. They began to form a ragged line on the city side of the Chrysanthemum Bridge. All wore the traditional heavy linen robes. Each carried a sandalwood chest or lacquered box. Jaya counted forty-four of them, not one less than sixty years old. Too many masters, she said. Too many fans. Some of them need to go, said Baz, apprentice to a fanmaker named Samira. He leaned against the trunk of a smoke tree beside Jaya, squeezing into a narrow patch of shade in the noonday sun. Go, said Hool's cousin Damar, who was presenting as a chicken. He had just been expelled from the land of smokeless fire, and, like many newly exiled genies, regarded the ways of mortals with confusion and dismay. Go where? Leave the city, said Baz. Retire. Or die, said Hool. Mahir's hands shake. Jaya squirmed against the trunk of the tree, rubbing an itch. She's lucky to have a fan at all this year. Last week, she ruined a ivory guard stick. Three days of carving for nothing. Jaya thought of the designs she might have made on that ivory. Kiwi vine and curved daggers. They should make room for us. It's time for new masters, new ideas. If the court doesn't come down soon, they will go, said Hool. It's hot as a baker's kitchen by the bridge. Jaya thought Hool might be right. The guild's folk seemed to shimmer under the cruel sun. They are late, she said. Herself is always late for the judging, said Hool. She doesn't care anymore. Not about the masters, said Boz. Or painted fans said Hool. Or anything, really, but peach wine and candied figs. They will care about my fans, muttered Jaya. Baz snickered. They who? said Damar. Hool, these people talk so fast. Them, said Jaya. The law clowns and sky watchers and clerks of the walk. She felt her cheeks burn. Yes, even Torian the high constable herself. Hool began to shapeshift as he crawled toward the river on all fours. The skin on his back hardened into bony plates, formed ridges. There are eggs smarter than the high constable herself, he said. His legs were scaly stubs. His turtle's head pointed at the castle like a thumb. Hard-boiled eggs. Nobody wants more fans. Boz laughed. Jaya's right. Too many fans already. Damar, the chicken, fluttered his useless wings. Listen. Jaya heard it then, an iron groan that made her teeth ache as the castle doors swung open, then the bamboo twitter of flutes and the bronze splash of a gong. Too many fans, Jaya? The turtle's hindquarters stretched, and he tilted toward the river. Too many masters in your way. Hool slipped into the dark water. Jaya felt a thrill of fear and thought to call him back, 
but was afraid to draw the attention to herself. Besides, how could she thwart the will of a genie? And we'll stop there. What's all up to? Whose van will the High Constable herself choose? And how will that choice change Jaya's life? Lots of questions. Answers next week. This is Jim Kelly. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll check back here again soon for more of Rereads.